Welcome to the Go Lead Everything podcast. Do you aspire to become the best leader you can be? Then come along with me and GLE. Faith, love, integrity, courage. Four key values of great leaders all around the world. I'm Phil Swanson, and I'm on a mission to bring you leaders from all walks of life and arm you with the tools and mindset to lead effectively in whatever you are called to do. Are you ready? Because it's time to go lead everything. All right, folks, our guest today has 40 years of business experience, primarily in global automotive industry. He retired from Johnson Controls, Inc., a Fortune 100 company, spent 15 years there in their automotive systems group, and this ain't no small company. We're talking revenue into the 11 figures, $20 billion to be exact. This is a monster company. His responsibilities included leadership of 250 manufacturing facilities located in 26 countries, five regional technical centers located in the U.S., Europe, Japan, and China, and over 75,000 employees worldwide. Now, you know what they say about guys with big teams, right? Well, they're not compensating for anything, but they probably know something about leadership. And with a track record like his, I know he does. I'm thrilled to have him on the show. He's a member of the, or was a member of the General Motors Ford and Daimler Chrysler Supplier Advisory Councils, and also served as chairman, vice chairman, and member of several corporate boards, in addition to nonprofit and charitable organizations. So folks, you get the idea. This gentleman's been around the block in corporate America. He's the president of Randy Soma and Associates, a leadership coaching and development company, and the author of the book, Leadership, which is a look at the broken systems in corporate America that allow leaders to be really good at being bad. Pleased to have Randy Soma on the show today. Randy, welcome to GLE. Hey, Phil. Thanks a lot. I really do appreciate being here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you, Randy. And before we get into the meat, man, I read your book, Leadership. It... Uh, it's a humdinger, man. It's, it's really an eye opener into some of the things going on in the corporate America these days and, and things, you know, we've seen in the news and, and many people just don't really understand or have visibility into. And a guy like yourself, you know, you've been sitting in those rooms and have a lot of insight to share. So um, I'm thrilled and really want you to share some of that. But before we get into that, maybe share some of your story and how you grew up, you know, what instilled in you the values that, that gave you the leadership mind and mindset that you have that's taken you to where you are today. Well, I, you know, I, I grew up in uh, Pittsburgh, PA. Um, I was uh, born and raised by two, uh, my mother and father, who were a waiter and a waitress uh, and, um, at the Pittsburgh Athletic Club. Um, so my dad moved on to do better things when they built the Pittsburgh Hilton downtown in 1964. Uh, but in uh, all that being said, they were just really high moral people, highly ethical people who we didn't have much. We had a seven or 800 square foot house. Um, you know, you could, you could uh, punch a wedge from one end to the other. Yeah. Right. Play golf. <laughs> and so, um, you know, it, it was just, it was just a, a very lower middle income upbringing, but to me, I didn't know any better. They, they, they provided well, I went to I went to school. I went to college. I graduated Robert Morris University in 1973, and I, I think that what where I really got my uh, developed my value system and how I how rigid I would be and flexible I would be in deploying it was really observing um, really observing um, my in particular my dad. You know, he would take me to the Pittsburgh Hilton. A lot of times there were uh, uh, dinners down there were at were sports stars from the Pittsburgh area would attend. So he would take me down there. I was maybe fourteen or fifteen, and it would give me an opportunity to go around and get autographs from all these yeah. players. Cool. And but then I would walk with him back in the kitchen. I'll never forget. I mean, this is a long time ago, mm -hmm. and I I would follow him back when he had to go back in the kitchen and do some things back there to get ready for the banquet, and and he would stop and talk to the whether it was a dishwasher or somebody carving the meat or a waiter or a waitress that were in the back and he would stop and talk with them. Mm -hmm. And 
he just spent time with them. He didn't treat them like they were less than he was. And I remember more than once as, a, as we were walking away from somebody, I would get a tug at my shirt from the person my dad had just talked to was probably you know, an hourly employee that he didn't have to spend that time with. And he say to me, you know what, kid, your, your old man's a good guy. I'd go through walls for him. Wow. And somehow it, it, I processed that and retained that and deployed that in my own career is what I would call humanizing myself to people, never mm-hmm. putting titles ahead of the importance of just getting together and connecting as humans. Right. Uh, not as titles. And so that was just um, kind of how I started the process. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, humanizing yourself as a leader is something I, I think is, is challenging for many people because we're so used to saying the good things we do and, and we're, you know, it's like kind of we, like we try to hide or be strong and, and not show that softer side sometimes, which, you know, kind of makes you unrelatable. Right. And I know before the show, you were sharing a little bit about one of the, the pinnacles are, I guess, uh, one of the medals. In, in your trophy case, which is an employee engagement survey that, that you did. Can you share that story and, and how you, you, uh, you leverage that to figure out how your employees were engaging with your leadership? Okay, I can. And, and there's, a, there's a really huge message to this that I'll get to at the end that's far bigger than anything I'm going to say, but um, the, the moral to the story. But we decided to, uh, when I looked at our corporate mission, and that was to be the global leader in automotive interiors, I, I, I sat, we sat in the room and I was just asking the staff, um, can we possibly aspire to this? Is this, is this a legitimate aspiration if we have employees that don't have high morale? You, you just can't square that circle. You mm-hmm. can't, either we're going to have high morale or we're gonna downgrade our objectives and our aspirations. We either raise the bridge or lower the river. Mm-hmm. And so what we did was we went, We said, no, we don't know what the morale is. We, ha- we haven't officially checked that. So we, went, we hired an independent company because we wanted people to be honest with their answers. We didn't, I didn't walk down the hall and ask people if they like working for me and keep counting on the yeses and nos. <laughs> but but they, they, um, they came back. One of the questions of many that was asked across the company was, do you believe in and trust the leader? Year one of the survey, 61% said yes. So I sat down with the company doing the survey and I said, look, I cannot, can you go please find out why the other 39% either said no or I don't know. I can't act on the numbers, but I can act on the answer to that question. Mm-hmm. And they came back, Phil, and it was, it was amazing. They came back to me and they said, they looked at me and they said, the number one thing they were hearing back as to why they don't know or don't trust the leader is they don't know you. They don't know you. And look, by that time, I'd been with John's Controls uh, at least 10 years. Wow. And I'm looking around the room at my team. They've all been there. Yeah. And I said, well, wait a minute. They, they, I've been here. I, they said, hold on. They know you, Randy, the president, CEO. They don't know you, Randy, the person. Right. People don't trust titles. Sure. They trust people. Yeah. And so basically the message was you need to humanize yourself, you know, and just as a side, when I think about that, I think about the, you know, the, uh, the <laughs> wizard of Oz, you know, that the, at the end of the movie, uh, you know, uh, he, he, he was really intimidated by who he was. He didn't think as a person, he mm-hmm. would be able to motivate people to do great things. So what he did was he dehumanized himself, got behind the curtain right, and then right. used fear in the form of, uh, you know, do it or else uh, to mm-hmm. motivate people, which is absolutely not, not the right way to do it. So sure. we, we went back and we put a lot of effort. We put a ton of effort into uh, doing things that would get me out in front of more people. Mm-hmm. And we had different kinds of communication venues and so on and so on and so on. And in year three, in year three, the number went from 61% said yes to 81% said yes. Wow. Now, that's not the best part of the story. Look at the, the, the climb 
the 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 associated climb that went with that in the mm -hmm. form of revenue, earnings, mm -hmm. awards from industry, the community, the the customers, um, uh, everything, everything, even the conventional metrics mm -hmm. that are used to determine a country's value, a company's value, right. even they climbed. The minute that people said, more people said, I trust that person, mm -hmm. everything skyrocketed. Wow. There's, it's no mystery that those dots are connected. Yeah, that's really cool. I, I love the quote you said in, in the book, an organization whose morale is not high and whose leadership is not trusted can only establish mediocrity as its highest legitimate aspiration. And I love that because you also reference good to great a lot in the book. Was that a book that, that uh, helped you in your career? It did. It did help me because uh, I really, you know, it was interesting in that book. Um, you know, for instance, they talk about leaders, leaders in, in that book and they talk about having humility. Then one of the, one of the key components to a great leader was to be humble, right? Mm -hmm. Well, with humility comes the ability to humanize yourself. A lot of reasons, one of the big reasons why uh, uh, leaders don't humanize themselves is their ego won't let them go there, mm. right? They want to be above you. They, they, it makes them feel better about themselves if they're above you and come across as I'm above you versus mm -hmm. no, you're a person, I'm a person. We just have different titles and we have different roles and responsibilities. Let's work right, together right. and make this happen. Uh, so uh, yeah, that, that book uh, had a lot of things in there that I learned from, and I, it really made sense to me as I was processing the things I was learning through my experiences uh, in corporate America. Yeah. You mentioned a lot about an authentic leader and authentic leadership, and I want to get into that pretty heavily. And um, you touched on humility. One of the things you talk about being misunderstood with, with people that do show humility is sometimes there's perceived weakness can you just you know talk a little bit about maybe how some of that sometimes humility in in the leadership culture may be perceived as, as like a weakness i i actually think i look at it more in terms of uh, leaders leaders have a real a, a lot of leaders and i was talking to a, a good friend of mine who unfortunately has passed away but he was a, a top player with um with the huntington bank uh, here in the Michigan area and uh, beyond Michigan, uh, actually headquartered in Ohio. But um, we were talking about this and, you know, wh what prevents leaders from humanizing themselves from, you know, you know, just saying, you know, people to people working together, I'm not going to throw my title around. Um, and it, it, one of the things, you know, one of the key things we came up with is they, they're intimidated by that. Mm -hmm. It, it, like I used the Wizard of Oz example before, that little gray-haired guy, who, by the way, was so inspirational at the end of the movie, made the lion cry. I mean, that, right. I mean, but he didn't. <laughs> he felt intimidated by the notion that this little gray-haired guy was going to be able to motivate people to do great things. Right. He 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 could not get there. He just could not. He felt he, he, he's and so what he did was the, the default mm -hmm. mode is to crawling behind the title and mm -hmm. use intimidation right. and consequences to motivate performance, which right. is only going to get you mediocre performance at best and probably a lot of turnover in your workforce. Sure. Sure. So I know people are curious. It's a very uh, thought provoking title leadership. What, what exactly is leadership? You know, you're talking about performance. You're talking about some of the motivating factors. Give us some insight into what leadership's all about. Well, you know, when I started to, um, you know, in my various venues that I sat in, you know, it really all started when I was on the advisory. I was the only supplier executive in the automotive industry that sat on GM, Ford, and Daimler Chrysler, Daimler Chrysler's advisory councils concurrently. Mm -hmm. Now, the only reason that I'm not bragging about that, the point I'm making is what I saw was GM in this base, they had a charter on what this council was going to do, but they didn't behave that way. Chrysler, Daimler Chrysler, they had a similar charter for that for their council, but they didn't behave that way. And uh, Ford, they had a similar 
charter, but they didn't behave that way. Now, if I would have just been on one of those councils and what they say is bring us great ideas uh, to reduce costs, but given prove value to the consumer, you benefit, the con it's a win-win-win. The consumer benefits, we benefit, and you, the supplier, benefits. And we spent a ton of money taking those ideas in there. And they didn't do anything with them. All they did was strip the money off of our price to get them the cost reduction that they wanted. And now we were left hanging the bag, figuring out how we were going to neutralize that, mm -hmm. that turn down in revenue that sure. they were supposed to get by working hard to implement the ideas they asked us to bring. Right. So had I just been on one of those councils and saw mm -hmm. that, I would have thought you're, you're saying the right things, but you're not doing any of it. Mm -hmm. And what you're doing is penalizing me for, for trying to do the right thing because I'm bringing you the ideas. Right, right. Well, because I was on all three, Phil, I saw it three times. Mm. That's when I began to think it wasn't just one company misbehaving. Mm -hmm. Is this something that's systemic? Mm -hmm. Is this something that is our, our collective culture in this country in terms of how leaders operate yeah, and who they are and what they do and why they do it. Was that the first time you had seen something like that? It was the first time I noticed it. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, it, but then, then, you know, I got onto other, I, you know, I got onto other boards sure. you know, after I left John's controls and I got onto other boards and all kinds of boards, you know, I was mm -hmm. chairman of a board, vice chairman of a board, private equity, profit, nonprofit, charitable, mm -hmm you know, probably for, I mean, just, you know, a lot. And, but every place I went, I saw the same thing. I was started, you know, got to the point where I started looking for it. Did you ever feel paranoid or like doubt yourself or question yourself what you no, were seeing? No, I, I, what I do is I feel, I started to feel um, really worried. Huh. Um, because I, I thought, geez, if this is our normal, and by the way, I saw this, I didn't go, I, I gave some other stories in the book that wandered a little bit outside of corporate America. I sure. told a story about our church and our oh, yeah. church leaders. Yeah. I love that. I can relate. I'm actually the president of a, of a church here in Houston. Oh, okay. So I'm, I, I can relate to the church dynamic a bit. Well, you saw that story in the book, you know, where, you know, I'm, I'm working to turn the church around in the process of doing that. I get a death threat letter. That uh, luckily the, that's uh, not something I've had to go through. No, God, God willing, you, God, God forbid. <laughs> Hopefully that, I never, never believe me, you don't, I, that was four months. I, I never have, want to relive. Is that that's, sh that's shocking. But the, but the point was in this case, the investigators wanted to talk to one of the priests that was moved from this from our parish to another parish sure. as possibly a person of interest after they started their investigation. And mm -hmm. this priest refused to talk to the investigators. Wow. Well, our, our other priest who is still here, he's, he said, well, I'm going to call the Bishop. Who's this guy's boss. Right. And I thought, well, he's going to make the Bishop's going to make this guy talk to the police. We're, this death, this, this death threat threatened to kill my wife and our church president's three daughters all under the age of 10. Oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah. So I'm thinking for sure this bishop is going to make this guy, whether he did it or not, he might be able to help. That bishop ran like a scalded dog. Wow. And when I asked his assistant, what's going on here? He said, you have to understand, Randy, his grace is not comfortable with contentious situations. And I said, well, you know, I wouldn't call this a contentious situation. However, the fact that he's not comfortable doing his job disqualifies him for being a legitimate leader. Right. Whether you like it or not, isn't relevant. Mm -hmm. If you're an authentic leader, many times you make decisions that hurt like hell, mm -hmm. but they're the right decision to make. And you too many times, Phil, and this is the one way I describe the whole thing is I look at it as leaders have now uh, been allowed to and are willing to and able to trade off their duties for their self-interest. Right. In this case, this bishop, his self-interest was, I don't want to get involved in this thing. Right. His right. duty was to get involved in this thing. Sure. Well, he surrendered his duty to mm -hmm. his self-interest. And I've seen that 
everywhere. And I saw it in the university venue, which I didn't go into in the book. There, mm -hmm. they, the, you know, the publisher tried to get me to keep sticking to the corporate America thing. But the point is, it's even parents, by the way, with all due respect, have, have um, kind of wandered off the path in terms of being good leaders. They became somewhere along the way, they decided to be more pals than parents. Amen, brother. I love that. I, I'm actually, it's really impressive to me, Randy, because I think it's cool. You were, you had the self-awareness, the self-confidence to see these things and not, you know, you didn't like doubt yourself or doubt what you were seeing or, or, you know, wonder like, am I, am I really seeing this or do I, are they smarter than I am? Am I missing something? You know, I, I tend sometimes, and, and I think many do to maybe have some doubts, you know, they, they kind of question themselves as opposed to saying like, Hey, I'm seeing this and this is wrong. And, and we need to do something about it. So I, you know, I commend you for that. That's, that's pretty cool. Well, let me just, you know, I, I mentioned to you earlier, I've gotten dozens of people that have gotten back in touch with me as a result of reading the book, not hundreds, but dozens. And the, the one thing they almost all had in common, and they were different kinds of people and different kinds of industries, with different kinds of jobs. But the one thing they, the, the two messages they, they, they came back with that was consistent across them all mm -hmm. independently was number one, they, they now realized what was going on because they, they, they found themselves in this, in this dilemma. If I do what I'm required to do, or I'm expected to do, I'm going to have to sell out on my values as a person. And even the values that the company states are their values. Right. They, I'm going to have to sell out like ethical and moral and so on. I'm going to have to sell out if I'm going to do what I'm expected to do. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, if I stay true to my values and even those the companies publish, mm -hmm. the company publish, I'm probably not going to be here very long. Right. And they're right in the middle of that dilemma. And I heard that I'll, more times than I wanted to, because it's really depressing. Mm -hmm. At the same time, the other thing that I heard, and kind of to your point, is more than once, what the book did is it, it got me to understand what dilemma I'm in. I understood it better. And the second thing was, it isn't me. Yeah, I'm it's not, not just me. Problem. I, I'm, and I'll tell you what, those words from a number of people made writing that book to me totally worthwhile mm -hmm. because for somebody to say i realized it wasn't me because they were beating themselves up right like they had to be the problem right and i pointed out to them the only problem you have is you want to do it right this is That's one of the problem. the biggest things i think leaders need to to know today and and you talked about this and we'll get into it a little more about you know sort of the you know maybe helplessness or um you know we create justifications like, well, we can't stop it. So, you know, we might as well go along. You know, we, we feel like we don't have the power to, to change it. So we aren't as inclined to stand up or stick our necks out. And what's important to know is we do have the power and all it takes is one person like yourself writing a book. And now all of a sudden, Hey, what, you just gave confidence to dozens of other people and help them understand like, Hey, you know, I saw this same thing. And if they'd have just had that confidence to stand up, who knows, maybe another couple dozen people that, that they know would have seen the same thing and stood up, right? And it, it's never going to start unless unless people start speaking up, right? Well, you know, it's funny. I, one of the first interviews I did after the book was published was uh, uh, the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette newspaper. And they did a column that was on the front page of the business section. So the guy interviewed me and he asked me a lot of questions and we, we had a good conversation. And at the end of the interview, he said, he asked me, he said, Randy, why'd you write this book? I mean, I think I probably led on to him at some point in time that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm ADHD. So I, I can't sit still. I don't, I don't even know I read a book all the way through, honestly. <laughs> um, but I asked what I, my answer was this, and I, I'm clear in my mind why I did it. It wasn't for money. I mean, that, that sure heck wasn't it. But I said to him, I said, you know, we can talk all we want about mm -hmm. how broken this leadership system is. And I do believe it's systemic. It's not just one or two bad apples here and there. Sure. It's in the water. I mean, it's in our water. And I said, it's, we can talk all we want about your opinion, my opinion, how we got here. What do we do about it? But 
But then off the off in the corner over here in my peripheral vision are the victims of it. Mm -hmm. the, the, are the people who relied on those leaders to do the right thing. They, mm -hmm. their, their livelihoods, their families, on and on and on, dependent on those leaders to do what was in the best interest of that workforce, mm -hmm. right? And, right? And what they did was they sold out their duties to their own self-interest. And, and I said, I wrote it because there's victims. Sure. We can talk about the bad leaders all we want all day long, but over here, understand, over here on the side, the right. collateral damage is why I wrote the book. For yeah. what I said, I don't know how to fix it. It's, it's, uh, it's, I, I believe it's, it's, uh, you know, it, it, everything's upside down. You know, mm -hmm. bad is normal and good is bad. Right. Good is be careful. And so, so I, you know, I don't have a flip, a switch to flip. I don't have, I can't click my heels. I can't do any <laughs> of that. But what I could do was tell the story sure. and hope that somebody benefited from that somehow. Yeah. So for folks that, you know, we, we hear in the news about you, you got the housing crisis back in LA, you've got the Enrons, you've got some of these big companies that, that, you know, the bad actors, right. That have really made the headlines. And, and we have bits and pieces of those stories shared from Hollywood and all, and all this stuff, you know, for folks that, that haven't been there and haven't seen it systemically like yourself, you know, can you, can you describe a little bit, some of the, the structure and, and I guess the, the systems that are in place that incentivize some of this bad behavior you talk about? Well, <laughs> the first thing that jumps out at me is, uh, is, um, well, let me just say this before I go there. Uh, you know, because the system is so broken, the, the, the standards for how we define what is legitimate leader who's qualified to lead have dropped a bunch. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, we're letting people into leadership positions that, probably if we knew the truth probably would be in jail or, or, or worse. I mean, it's wow. it, it, that, that being said, so the standards are so low because you, you're allowed to uh, uh, surrender your duty to your self-interest. You're allowed mm -hmm. to do that. So, I mean, so every, that's why I mean, everything's broken. And so the quality of people we're putting into these leadership jobs are by today's standards, they belong there by where the standard should be they wouldn't even be allowed to work in the cafeteria. <laughs> but to answer your question, I said, one of the things that I talk a lot about, and I did talk about it in the book is bonuses. It is a major issue when, when, look, uh, when you're paying, uh, you know, uh, when you're paying people, when your bonus dwarfs your, your base pay, and right. it's based on one thing and one thing only, here's the worst part. It's bad enough that the bonuses are millions and millions of dollars. It even makes wholesome people quiver a little bit and, yeah. and, and wonder about straying off, off course, right? Um, you know, you know I, one of the companies that I was uh, looking at at the time, the, the, the CEO's bonus was $20 billion. The 20 million, I'm sorry, $20 million bonus. I was going to say 20 billion would no, no, be quite 20, the bonus. 20, yeah, that was the sales. Yeah. 20 million. Yeah. When you get, 20, into the, when you get yeah, up yeah, into yeah. these numbers, you know, it's an, it's an alphabet oh, sure, soup, right? you know? Yeah, yeah. But anyway, but the bonuses are, are they just, they, they incentivize uh, bad behavior. And we're in a system where bad behavior is acceptable. But mm -hmm. here's the worst part of it is it, it's those bonuses are, only based on this year's numbers. Mm -hmm. There's no, uh, there's nothing in those bonuses that incentivize anybody to do anything that's going to, the return on that investment is going to be three or four or five years from now. Right. 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 That's that, you know, why isn't that, why don't CEOs do something that's going to be only going to come back and return you know, on mm -hmm. the investment? three to four or five years from now, because they don't plan to be here three or four or five years from now. They right. plan to make their multi-million dollars within the next year or two and be gone. Sure. So the return on investment beyond them being here mm -hmm. isn't on, isn't on the table, which is, which is nuts. Right. Um, I used a story in a book about bonuses. I heard a story one time about there was a village that was uh, uh, infested by rats and the village leaders decided a good way to get rid of the rats is to put a bounty on rats. 
So if you as a villager brought a rat tail in, demonstrating that you killed a rat, for every rat tail you brought in, you got X amount of dollars. Well, in that process, um, two of the village people decided, hey, why don't we breed rats? So right. they breeded rats. So they had a and bunch so of rat tails. It, this is what I mean about it. <laughs> it launch, it incentivizes right, really right. horrific behavior. Sure. And so when the story was all over, the village ran out of money and was infested by even more rats. So, right, right. Um, so to, the, to, to that point, you, you're pretty critical of one of the famous leadership names that I know pretty much everyone's probably heard of, Jack Welch. Mm-hmm. And I, I think probably many revered him. And until, you know, more recent um, learnings and, and happenings with GE following his departure, can you share a little bit about uh, yeah. your uh, thoughts on Jack? Well, this, came, this comes back to my, my overarching issue with uh, not, only, not only are uh, bonuses too, too high. I mean, there's too out of control. Um, but it's also worse, case, worse than that. It's based on near-term performance. So you're basically allowing leaders to kick the can down the road mm-hmm. because all that matters is the near term. Um, if you pull the pin on a grenade, right, you're allowed to do that to make a lot of money because you can make sure you're not standing next to it when it goes off. <laughs> so so uh, J- Jack, from what I understand and know him personally and was never on that board, but my understanding through some reading and hearing other people that didn't know him and that experiences with GE was he was the uh, classic case of an individual who pulled forward all of the return on the investment in the work of the business. So they, uh, he, he, he just, he, everything was near term to him. Mm-hmm. So he, every, he benefited off of near, he, he, he enriched the near term on this side of his retirement line, right? So he 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 optimized optimized his earnings on this side of his retirement date. Right. What he did though was he stripped the business clean mm-hmm. after his retirement date. It's no mystery that people talked a lot about. Geez, boy, we really miss Jack. Look what happened when when he left GE. Right. Boy, do they miss Jack? No, they don't miss Jack. Jack left them stripped. They, yeah. he, he stripped them and he pulled it forward prior to his retirement date. So that's, that's a lot of what, you know, I saw with him, but again, it was just a really classic example of, of, uh, you know, and, and GE, I mean, he, they got into businesses that like the finance business, they had no business in some of these businesses, mm-hmm. but um, so they got, they, they, they got the, uh, the, the brunt of that mm-hmm. post his, retirement, sure. which you, you could have probably guessed if you're on the inside. Um, but uh, it, but it's back to the overall issue of near-term results are all that matter. I'll tell you sure. what, Phil, I, uh, of all the boards I sat on, the one thing I never saw and the one thing I always complained about in all the boards was one of the most important things that a CEO needs to do is a strategic plan. It's essentially a five-year vision plan that says, here we are today, Here's where we want to be in five years. Let's mm-hmm. build a roadmap to get us from here to there, right? Sure. And you got to spend money to do that. Oh, yeah. Well, I always wondered why, you know, none of these CEOs were, you know, I, I'm in these boards. I'm asking, where's the strategic plan? Where's the strategic plan? And all I'm seeing is the one-year fiscal operating plan, right? The, uh, and I'm like, where's the strategic plan? And then I finally realized there's no value into doing something with the return on the investment five years from now because your bonus is based on this calendar year right period mm-hmm. um, so in some ways uh, we've we've sort of um, generated or inspired this kind of behavior because of the systems that we're using mm-hmm. to uh, to reward them you talk a, a little bit too about n- not only that that comment but how even when these leaders aren't doing the job that that they're tasked with, you know, even if they don't do it and they, and they get let go or whatever, they're still highly compensated and they move on and, and maybe even get another CEO role. Can you, sh- can you share some insight into, into how that works? Well, it's, it's like a, a you know, yeah, well, um, 
you know, once you get labeled a, a CEO, um, uh, it seems like everything else uh, uh, falls off the off the map in terms mm -hmm. of whether you did a good job or bad job or, uh, you know, I remember there was one, I was, I was vice chairman of one board and the, it was a private equity company and the, the owners of the private equity company, they were sending me uh, information about uh, a, a company here in, in the Detroit area that was a huge automotive company that's gone now. But uh, talking about somebody that was on the board Mm -hmm. of this company and what I thought of this individual. And I said, well, I don't know him personally, but I know this, he was on the leadership committee uh, team at uh, Chrysler and GM when they both went and then GM and both of them went eventually to Washington to get handouts to save them from chapter 11. Wow. So why is this guy qualified? So his job is going to be to oversee the management to make sure they're doing the job the right way. How's he gonna know what that looks like? He doesn't right. know what the right way looks like. So, but why did he, why was he put on that board? Because of the, he was an executive with mm -hmm. Chrysler and GM. Wow. And that was that. Sure. Um, so it is, it is just, uh, and it, you know, it's musical chairs with CEOs. Um, mm -hmm. It, it, you know, for instance, I think in a lot of ways, as I tracked on some of these things, uh, boards want to look at what's the easiest thing to do. You mm -hmm. know, it's a lot easier to pick somebody to be a CEO that's already been a CEO. They can kind of hang their hat on that sure. versus somebody that wasn't a CEO, but is even more qualified than those that were. Um, you, you mentioned how systemic some of this is. And I, I actually found a, a really cool diagram. I don't know if you've seen it. It's at fastcompany.com. I'll share it with you. But it's a, it's a diagram that shows how 78% of the top 50 companies in the S&P 500 are directly connected through one or more board member. And, uh, you know, I just you talk about the problem being systemic and, and it, you know, I just find it so interesting that all these, all these people that are on these boards, they're, you know, they're CEOs of companies and leading other companies and they sit on these boards and they all sit on each other's boards. And it's just, it's kind of fascinating to me. And um, you have a story in the book about how you, how you stood up and, and eventually, you know, spoke up and, and, and called out some of these things you see as, as a, as a member of, of a board um, and you just get crickets from, from the others on the board. Yeah. Did well, that happen to you a lot or, or like it, did. It, 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 it did in different ways, but the, but, but it was a similar common thread. Yeah. Um, the one in particular to talk about, and I won't name the company, but it was a, you know, big company, really sure. big company. And the, the chairman was not doing certain things that were listed on his job description. Important things like strategic planning, like succession planning, really big deal stuff. Oh, by the way, that only mattered into the future. It didn't matter now, which I get back to my other issue in how these people are driven into these places because of the compensation structure. But so this one, I was on this board for eight years and uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, six years. And toward the end, I was like, you know, I kept asking the question, where's the strategic plan? Where's the, you know, and finally the chairman, and as a public company, the chairman snapped at me. Now there's eight other men. Here they are saying diversity is a big deal to them. And the rest of the board members stood up when they went number one. So there, so there, I, I he, he, he kind of snaps at me and I stop him. I said, hold on for a minute. First of all, I don't want to make trouble. And this is exactly the way it went down. I don't want to make trouble, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do my job. And, you know, I'm, my job is to oversee you in the management that you're doing the right thing. I said, the, the people that put me in here are people that have money invested in this business. Probably maybe it's retirement money. Maybe it's, it's money to send their kids to college. I don't know, but it's important enough for them to know that everything's going on the way it should be. They can't all be in this room. So they picked me to be in here for them. So I'm going to do that. I work for them. I don't work for you. Right. 
here's the thing, Phil, that hit me like a ton of bricks. I looked left and I looked right. And the other board members are looking at their shoes. They're looking at their phones. They're, they're wondering when I'm going to shut up because they're getting ready to bring in lunch. Um, and and it, I, that's, I started to notice that. And I thought, why am I the only one talking? I'm, I'm not making this stuff up. It's right. right here on your job description. And oh, by the way, this is important stuff for the future of the business and the workforce and so on and so forth. Not necessarily right. for right now, sure. but it's not, but I come back to right now is all I'm getting paid for the way the system's right. set up. Right. And just a little funny story as we got done with that. And I was, I was really, that's kind of the first time I noticed, again, it even became more of a systemic issue when I'm seeing board members who as individuals, I liked and a lot and, and they deserve to be in there based on their background. But the system, the system wants you to just shut down, just go along with it, right? I mean, right. just why do you make it? You're, all you're doing is slowing this down. We, we got it. We got lunch coming in. Right. Now I go to the restroom at, at this break and the CFO of the company follows me, kind of comes into the restroom behind me and I'm, I'm uh, standing there going to the bathroom. And he, I see him out of the corner of my eye looking under the two stalls to make sure nobody's in there and then stands next to me to go to the bathroom and whispers to me across the, bath, the urinals, he whispers, you know, Randy, you're really right about what you're saying, but you know how the, the guy can be. And I looked at him and I said, I know I'm right. Why are you whispering? <laughs> but I know, but think about that, Phil. Yeah. Think about that. When I said good, bad is normal and good, be careful. Sure. He was a classic icon for watch out if you want it to be right. Mm -hmm. Watch out. Yeah. That, that you're going against the, you're going against the grain. Yeah. And I mean, when you have a culture and I've seen this just from in, in many parts of the world, you know, you'd say that corporate leadership is connected to political leadership. And, you know, I think we're in a system right now. It, it, it creates passivity. It, it almost like it, it really is hard on people that stand up and want to do the right thing. It, it'll attack them. It'll shut them down. It'll, it'll cancel them, you know, this whole cancel culture stuff. And, you know, I think it's so important for us as leaders to resist that passivity and, and really fight it. Cause it, it's so really, you know, it's easy to get worn down, especially when you're in the system for a long time. And, and you even mentioned, you know, some of these good people that you worked with that, you know, were in the system a long time and, and um, you know, depending on their compensation, depending on the situation, depending on the time, even, even you saw some of the folks you knew start to, to change their behavior. So what, what can we as leaders do, Randy, going forward? Because, I, you know, it, it, these are great stories to, to share with people. If, if you want insight, you know, get this book. It, it's If you don't know a lot about what goes on in corporate America, truly, this book was is an eye-opener um, and a really great read. But what can we as leaders do, Randy, moving forward to to change what's going on and change the system? Yeah, you know, that's a, that is the, the question, right? It's the question. And the reason why it's, it's such a not easy question to answer is that in my lifetime, I'm turning 70 this year, in my lifetime, there's never been a time where being right and being committed to doing it right required so much courage and so much willingness to, uh, you know, take the blows that you mm -hmm. might take because it's well worth it to you because you value yourself and your own self-respect and you can sleep at night um, more than maybe um, what kind of paycheck you're getting that day. I mean, right. that sounds easy to say. It's a very difficult mm -hmm. Uh, situation to be in. So look, when, when you're, when you're, when you're, here's the, the biggest tragedy of it all, Phil, is, and what I tried to show in the book, doing things the right way mm -hmm. isn't mutually exclusive from hitting all your numbers and right. getting all the awards. In fact, they're 
very connected. Sure. You, if you do the right thing, you're, you can shoot for far higher aspirations than if you go about it the other way. Right. Um, and that's the biggest joke at all. Cause people say to me all the time, well, you know, um, yeah, we're going to, we're going to be honest and we're going to have ethics and we're have morality and then we're going to go bankrupt. No, no, <laughs> they're not mutually right. exclusive. Look at those charts in the book. That's what, I didn't want to put charts in a book, but I had to put those. Sure. You got to put the numbers, right? When 81% of the workforce said, I believe you and trust in you, everything went through the roof. Mm -hmm. That's no coincidence, not whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So getting back to your question, I I think that, you know, uh, we we can only, I think, you know, like my wife says to me, because I really struggle with the answer to this a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, Your wife says this to you? Yeah, yeah. 48 years we've been married. So, you know, she, you know, I, I just, I just learned how to take it. Wait, she struggles with your answer or her answer? No, she struggles when she's, when I tell her, I'm really, I'm struggling with the fact that I don't have the answer, right? right? Because we're in a minority. We don't, we're in the minority. So, because I've seen it, I've seen Mm -hmm. it and that's, I've heard it that people don't want it. Whistleblowers don't blow whistles anymore because they found out the hard way. They're the ones that get crushed. Sure. Not the bad guy, right? Yeah. So, so no more people don't blow whistles anymore. So, so it's the good guy just keeps getting squashed and squashed and squashed. But, like she said, look, it's like lighting one candle at a time, mm-hmm. and eventually the room will be lit up. So, mm-hmm. my best answer to you is, um, look, in my case, you know, look, uh, you know, I'll tell you very quickly is in, uh, you know, I was uh, things were very good at John's controls. We were very successful. You know, the, the, you saw the, the stuff in the book. Um, that very same year when we hit all those highs, mm-hmm. I was let go from John's controls. And I was let go from John's controls because I was put in a position where I was required to agree to do things that were inappropriate. And when I rejected that, despite hitting all time highs and everything, including morale. Sure. I was gone. Does that make you question what's really going on? It because does. if yeah. if it supposedly is about money, because I've had people say this to me, you know, you know, people are just fat and happy. They're getting their paychecks. It's all just about the money, follow the money. And I think that's true to some degree. But in a situation like that, where all the money's good and, and the results are good and, and still the the fact that you stood up and had integrity in situations doesn't fit in, in you know, it, it makes me well, think you there's, know, I, there's more to it, but I, you know, I don't want to be paranoid. No, no, no. And I'm not, I'm again, I'm just using myself in that situation as just one more example, how, how radical yeah. it is when you can, it's one thing when you're screwing up mm-hmm. and they let you go. It's a whole nother thing when you're kicking, you know what, sure on, on, on all counts, most importantly, how many people in the organization trust you and then driving all the numbers up uh, accordingly. Right. Um, and still, because it, it, like I said, the, when people, I signed a non-disclosure agreement when I, on my way out the door. And so I won't violate that. So when people ask me, so given all of that, how in the heck did you get fired? And I said, it wasn't because of anything I did. Right. It's because of what I refused to do. Mm-hmm. And we're in a system now where, again, being firmly committed to doing it the right way mm-hmm. um, can be can be brutal. Yeah, it can take you out. I think that advice is really helpful too. It's you know, it's not only what you're committed to doing, but it's what you are committed to absolutely, no matter what, never doing. And and I don't know if if many are really clear on that, and and that may be sort of how they easily begin to blur some of those lines, is they don't they don't really have clear understanding of I you know I'm not willing to do to go here here's here's where I draw that line, personally I you know I'm thrilled with what you're doing T- talk a little bit about your company I know you're doing some leadership consulting you got the book out so clearly you're lighting some flames around <laughs> the world what uh, what do you got going on Randy. Well, you know, actually, I've I've, uh, I've downshifted um, I, the business. I, you know, I, I started the business uh, to do consulting. Actually, I wanted to I wanted to consult with companies and show them the way, mm-hmm. show them how they can get to far higher aspirations, 
but here's the way you do it. Mm -hmm. What I found out, Phil, nobody wanted to buy that product. Sure. Because, because the leadership system doesn't require them to reach that high. Right. It, you know, it, it just requires them to do X versus what they should be required, what it should be, they should be required to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just got to the point where I, st- I, st- I, I thought, boy, you know, people are really going to want to work with me because I'm going to show them how to get from X to X squared. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and I found out nobody wanted that, that the system is in place that doesn't require you to go there. Sure. You, you can go far less and be just fine and not even get there legitimately. Mm-hmm. Um, because the oversight is not overseeing anymore. Right. Right. So, you know, uh, anyway, um, what I'm doing now is I, I am mentoring. I, a lot of young professionals, um, mm-hmm. you know, that I've met along the way, uh, both here and in Pittsburgh and some other places. And I don't charge a nickel. Uh, I tell them that, um, the, the number one requirement that I have, if they want me to be an advisor to them, is I will never tell them what they want to hear if it's the wrong answer. Yeah. Now that might mean you won't send me a Christmas card, but I will to do whatever is best for you, even if you're going to hate hearing it. Yeah, that's super. Because cool. I'm interested in making you better. I'm not interested in selling out my duties to my self-interest. That's amazing, Randy. I love it. If y'all want to find Randy, if you're on LinkedIn, you can find him at Randy. That's Randy with an E, R-A-N-D-E. Last name S O M M A Sama and his website's leader Sama at blogspot or excuse me, leadersama.blogspot.com. And uh, go check out Randy, follow him, see what he's doing, reach out to him if you're interested in mentorship. And um, Randy, you know, I love asking this question. I know we're up on time here. I could sit and talk to you forever. I actually got, I took like a million notes reading your book. I, I absolutely loved it. Um, one of the things that I like to do on my show, think about these podcasts, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, my, my family's got old pictures, you know, I might, I might see an old picture of my great grandpa somewhere, like maybe one, you know, I might have one home video of, of my great grandpa in a wheelchair at a birthday party or something. Right. You know, with today's technology, who knows who's going to see this, you know, a hundred, 200 years down the road. So, you know, <laughs> with that perspective in mind, thinking of all these future generations, what would you leave them with? What, what, what's one thought you'd leave them with today? I leave them with the fact that I, I mean, I understand the practical side of things, but you know, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, what really matters, or I believe should matter the most to you, to you is, um, you know, holding on to your value system, being true to your value system. You're going to get challenged and you're going to, you're going to get, you know, bounced a lot is we're in that day and age. But at the end of the day, over time, on the short term, you may take some shots. Mm-hmm. But I do believe over time, you will win. And the one thing you will win the most in the, in the most way is you will have your self-respect. You'll have your dignity. You'll be able to sleep at night because you were committed to doing not just great things, but great things the right way. Awesome, Randy. We appreciate it. We appreciate your leadership and uh, your exposure of leadership. Go check out the book. It's a good read. And as always, folks, go lead everything. If you think someone would benefit from hearing this episode or any of this content, please share it and send them over to goleadeverything.com to learn more. It has been amazing to hear about all the individuals who listen to and are getting value from the content here at GLE. Thank you for your support. You are the reason we do what we do. See you next time. Go.